We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 139. The Yankees are kicking the Royals' ass right now as we record on Wednesday night. What's up, Scott? What's up? This is a this is a perfect time to do it. We got a 10-3 ball game. Michael Pineda is throwing a bunch of strikes and cruising through. So let's record a podcast. It's perfect timing. The Yankees are cooperating with us tonight. Trying to erase those memories of that lost, ugly Houston series. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think what we did is just ran into a super hot team, and uh, luckily the Kansas City Royals were able to take care of the Orioles for us, which is very nice of them. <laughs> and now they're laying down for us, which is even more. This is even more uh, gracious. So these guys are just great hosts. I, I really do appreciate Kansas City right now. Shout out to George Brett for that. Shout out to George Brett. Uh, coming up, <laughs> coming up later in this show, we talked to Brian Hoke of MLB.com. He, uh, we talked to him on Tuesday night before Tuesday's game, but we, we discussed a lot of different things with him. Obviously the Jeter ceremonies, what the Yankees are going to do with Sabathia. If he continues to struggle, even though he had a good start on Tuesday night, what the Yankees are going to do with Tanaka and maybe a mechanical flaw. So we had a lot of good stuff. We did about 25 to 28 minutes with Hoke. So stay tuned for that later in the show. And Scott, I saw you pumping some Instagram stories with some updates on the June 10th event. So why don't you say those now? Yeah. So the, the email is going out tonight. I am wrapping it up right now so I can get it out to everybody just about some more details of the event. So look for that. If you have purchased tickets, just make sure that the email is good. And I know everybody gives, I know what I do. I give out spam. I give out like my garbage email to people usually. And if I don't want to hear from them or if it's something Your I'm burner signing email? up for, yeah, I have a burner email. So just make sure you're actually getting the emails and that they're not going to spam and that you do see it because eventually if you do sign up, your tickets will be sent through that email address. So uh, it's a it's a problem if you can't read it, uh, the, the emails. But yeah, we're, we're at 250. I think we've actually just passed 250 people. The last time we were recording, we were at around 200 plus. So we've had a nice influx of, of, uh, of people come to sign up and I expect... Honestly, I expect another 50 to 60 more people showing up. I think once we start rallying, everybody who's already signed up to get some more friends and let's grow this group even more. Why not? I think we're going to get a nice uh, nice influx. So sign up. We have a cutoff date for next Wednesday is the cutoff date. If you want to get a t-shirt on the day of for the event, because if you do not, I have to get them to the print shop. I have to do all that, all that jazz beforehand. So next Wednesday is that cutoff. If not, and you do order it, you're going to be paying a shipping cost for the t-shirt to be sent to you. So um, get it in by next Wednesday. Wednesday, the 24th. The 24th. Thank you for looking at a calendar. Yeah. So <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I just the, did. Uh, people are like, well, next Wednesday, I'm listening to this on a Tuesday. When does that mean? So but, yeah, Wednesday, the 24th. But yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're progressing right along. It's it's the, the event is, is going well. We have to wait for the Yankees to send us the tickets. Obviously, we have them all lined up and ready to go, but the way that they release tickets is the same way if you were to buy it on like Ticketmaster or wherever. They release it at a certain point before the game. Sometimes it's two weeks before the game. So once we do all that, we get them, and we will be sending the tickets off to you guys who have purchased. I'm excited. I cannot wait. Another thing that I can't wait for is the Jeter vs. A-Rod podcast that we sort of teased last time. We're definitely going to do it. I've seen some tweets come through that people want to hear it. So send us your mailbag questions or thoughts and takes on the whole matter. We're going to go through it. We don't know exactly when we're going to record it, probably in the next week or two. But it's going to be um, basically the history, the saga that is Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez. So I'm really looking forward to that. Also, call the voicemail line for Monday's show to leave your voicemails, 646 480 that's a that's become one of my favorite parts of this podcast very quickly is the last five minutes of those monday shows listening to people rant and rant. yeah it's more fun not having us talk and everybody else go out and and and, and the show it's it's actually awesome i think when you and i first started the show we had 
you know, from the beginning, we wanted to include the entire fan base. We wanted to include everybody who listens to the show, whether it be mailbags or, or voicemails, uh, as, as we're doing now. And it does. I think it's, it's a lot of fun hearing you guys say what you want, say what you mean in, in your voice. I think it's uh, expressed a lot better, obviously, through uh, you saying it than us reading it, or at least trying to read it on the air. Speaking of Alex Rodriguez, he is making his in-booth, in-game debut on Thursday night on Fox Sports 1, calling the Yankees and Royals game. I'm actually surprised that uh, he's actually getting in the booth for an in-game call. I thought he would just be a studio guy. Yeah, do we know who he's doing it with? Like, who's who's the uh... uh, Burkhart? Oh yeah, yeah, Bur- Bur- the, the guy used Bur- to do the Mets. He Bur- used to something. work with SNY, right? He's um he's pretty good actually. Kevin Burkhart's really good, I think. I think he's a he's a guy who who commands the uh, the game pretty well. I've heard him do a couple other things, and I think A Rod will be fine. I think he'll be good. You know, I, you know me. I, I'm not a big A Rod guy in the first place. Uh, I do I do think that he's extremely knowledgeable of baseball and. The perfect scenario is rolling up here with with the Yankees game. So I mean, he knows this team inside and out. So I mean, really, he's putting putting himself in a position to succeed. How's this going to work? Because he's still on the Yankees payroll, making like twenty five million this year from from the Steinbrenner. So how's it going to work? He can only be so critical. You know, well, I mean, why? He's still getting the money, whether he's critical or not. <laughs> I mean, he's still getting that money. That money is still coming in. Did Did you see he did some Fox um, Fox some sort of speaking event uh he posted on his instagram and he was speaking to a bunch of people and he walks out and he says i am now full-time on fox too bad they don't pay as well as the yankees and i sort of rolled my eyes because he's still cashing those 20 million dollar checks from the yankees unless steinbrenner had the foresight of of say putting some kind of a clause in the contract where if we get rid of you and you go and join the booth somewhere you can't talk badly about our team if that does happen and that's that would be some ridiculous foresight if he actually had that. But, yeah, dude, still cashing checks. I mean, that's pretty good. Nice little gig is cashing two different checks, especially when you're not working for one of them. It's never fun to hear somebody who's made almost $500 million in their career complain about money. He's speaking all over the place, too. I mean, you go on Instagram. Oh, he's everywhere. And, you know, whatever his little minion is running, him or running around next to him taking pictures of his Starbucks and every speaking event he's in. I mean, he's going to colleges. He's... He's going to like different businesses. I mean, the dude's all over the place. He hosted Squawk on the Street or Squawk Box, a CNBC morning show the other day, and he also announced that he's going to be a guest shark on Shark Tank coming up this summer. I am actually looking for. I like Shark Tank. I don't know if you if you're a fan of the show. I don't watch it all the time, but when I do watch it, I enjoy it. So I think watching him, Mister Wonderful, and and Cuban on a panel together, are all bidding against one another. Because you know, Arod's going to get competitive, and he'll buy something stupid. That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to hear the banter with with Arod. I, I, w- I could see Cuban throwing in a steroid joke under his breath somehow. I think it would be pretty funny <laughs> if they did that. So as we said, the Yankees are dominating the Royals. They killed them in the first game, seven to one. They're killing them in game two. What's the score now? Ten to three as we're as we're recording right yeah, now. Yeah, ten three runners on first and second. Judge has got a base hit. The the Royals, like you said, did the Yankees a favor by sweeping Baltimore and their last place in the AL Central. And it, and it it's easy to see why their pitching staff stinks. Somehow Jason Vargas was leading the league in ERA. He put up a stinker tonight, and thank God because he's one of these junk ballers that I was just going to be pissed off and annoyed by if the Yankees couldn't hit him. He reminded me of like Chris Capuano, just slightly more talent. But 
I mean, it's easy to see why this Kansas City Royals team is struggling. This is not that same World Series back-to-back uh, appearances team. No, I mean, their pitching staff isn't even remotely close to where it was. And their, I don't know, their offense just doesn't have the same doesn't have the same feel. Alex Gordon's having a terrible year. He was batting like 150, I think, yeah. coming into the year. And then you're looking at Vargas. Like, Vargas is the ERA leader? Really? How is this even possible? The guy, I mean, yeah, he... he uh, Singleton was talking about him being a finesse pitcher before the game, right? I mean, that's a very nice way of saying yeah, that's a, you have a very – your fastball yeah. is is uh, unimpressive. I think it's like 84 to 86. His changeup is like 80. So, I mean, if I'm – if I'm I'm almost looking for the changeup because it's really not that much different than the, the fastball. You can almost foul off the fastball if you want to. Dude's throwing changeup after changeup after changeup. It's crazy. That's a very, very delicate way of putting it, that he's a finesse yeah. pitcher. He's a junk yeah. baller. Yeah, he's bad. He's a lefty who has a job because he's a lefty. <laughs> That's true. And the Yankees are going to be facing another lefty in Danny Duffy on Thursday night. They, the Yankees have struggled with lefties the last couple of years, but this year they seem to be handling them a little bit better not including Dallas Keuchel. Well, right. That's what happens when you when you have a, a lineup that's you know flexible and has actual right-handed bats that can do damage against left-handed pitching. I mean, it becomes a problem when you can only stack lefties against your uh, you know the tough left-handers that come in. So Girardi's loving it. He's able to do what he wants with this lineup and you know up and down. Really, there's no bad move because everybody's doing pretty well. I mean, honestly, they're the up and down the lineup. It, everybody's hitting. It's pretty amazing. Think about the – I mean, the Yankees are stacked with with right-handed hitters between Judge and Sanchez and Castro and um, all the switch hitters with Headley and Hicks, Carter, and then Didi, one of the lefties, is dominates lefties. Yeah, he's so. slaying left-handed pitching. So he's, Girardi can do no wrong at this point. I mean, he's looking terrific. And he sits. He, uh, he's going with. I've noticed that anytime there's a lefty on the mound, either Gardner or Ellsbury sits every single time, which right. I'm fine with. Yeah, I mean we've been calling for uh, that for a while, so there's no issue with that. I mean it's it, it makes a lot of sense, especially when you when Hicks is playing. I mean Hicks is playing his his, his way into the lineup every single time. Seven um, home runs. Yeah, I mean he's the dude's got seven home runs. He's he's having a phenomenal year. It's I I, I don't know how much more praise we I we could give this entire team and. There's no limit to the praise because all of these guys, even Headley's hitting again. I mean, not to what he was uh, early in the uh, season, but he's hitting no. again. He's being he's he's you wanted some consistency, some more leveling off. And I think that's kind of what you're getting right now. He's definitely doing a lot more leveling off. It's not as as drastic as it has been. So, look, I mean, there's there's just so many flexible moves that Girardi has and uh and it's paying off. I mean, this team is rolling right now. The only consistent thing I see out of Headley is that he's five for five on stolen bases. Yeah, and he made a phenomenal defensive play last night. Did you? He made a couple yeah. good plays on Tuesday night. He actually saved CC. I'm some telling hits. you, CC pitched well, he did. but he was giving up some missiles down at. Dude, I'm base. telling you, Chase Headley is one of the best in the major leagues at going towards the bag. That I'm serious. That guy, he <laughs> he is phenomenal at fielding the uh, the the position. Can we get stat towards the on bag? That? Yeah, there's got to be some kind of a stat on you know which way they go left or right and and the metrics on that so somebody who's listening to this give me some advanced metric of chase headley to his right because he's phenomenal now now i don't so know if he's headley making the throw but he's ways. gloving it <laughs> headley can't go both no, ways he only goes one way one way guy 
Uh, the Yankees also coming up. They go to Tampa Bay for three games, and they're in second to last place, below 500. And then they come home and they play seven games against Kansas City and Oakland. Two last place teams. Obviously, they're playing Kansas City right now. So this is a stretch in the schedule before it starts to get tough again where they could really have a hot streak and really go a long way into setting themselves up for, for an even better summer than they've already done. So so we're expecting that not to happen then, right? Because <laughs> I feel like in the past well, couple of years, that's, this is like the opportunity to, for us to go – you know, in the past couple of years, it was, we can go above 500. We can finally do it. And then, no. But this is actually a different team. The only thing that concerns me in here, I mean, Kansas City and Oakland look like two very winnable series. Tampa Bay, I mean, yes, but they're, they, they have struggled. But at the same time, they always give us a fit, especially at the trap. Like, weird things happen at that place. So, I got, I got nothing, uh, I got nothing with, with that one. I, I don't know what will happen. Hopefully, they'll take advantage of it. But weird things happen at the trap. We've got a... We've got to throw out all the playbook on this team. We don't know. This is a, this is a we're in uncharted waters yep. with this team. It's a totally different team than than recent. No doubt. Years. There's no doubt. And thank God because I don't I don't know if we could do a third year in a row of of what we did for the last two years. The last two years were were uh, were pretty painstaking as as far as the amount of talent that was on a team that underperformed. Yeah, you want to listen to uh, two people losing their mind? Go listen to a podcast from last May. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty bad. I heard Susan on the pregame today say that the Yankees are already 10 games over 500. They didn't reach that until late September of last year. And that was only they only reached it last year because Gary Sanchez single-handedly carried them 10 games over 500. Yeah, we should be we should be rebuilding every year. This this is such a great process. It's so much fun. It's, it's easy. Sanchez was the face of the Yankees after 2016 and then a month into 2017 Aaron Judge is the face of the Yankees and he's on Jimmy Fallon's show and doing all that stuff what you what do you think of that video so people were comparing it to you know not comparing directly on the the performance but the fact that he was on the late show to uh, the Cano late show I, I thought the Cano one was a bomb I thought it was terrible I thought Cano wasn't very good uh, I thought the complete opposite on this one I thought Aaron Judge was very good looked very natural was personable and this dude is going to be, no pun intended, a giant superstar. He is, he has it. He's got everything you need. And uh, the, the best quote of the day, while the, whether it was professionally written or not and delivered by an actor or an actual Yankee fan, still up for debate in my opinion, was that there's only two gaps in New York. And it was uh, uh, Strahan and Judge the other one. That was a good line. It was. Do you know how I know that guy wasn't a Yankees fan? Is because at the beginning of the video he said his favorite player was yeah. Ellsbury. <laughs> yeah. Does that ever? I don't. I've never met a Yankees fan whose favorite player is Ellsbury. And I'm sorry if you if you've watched three Yankee games this year, you could identify Aaron Judge if he was standing right. In front I don't of you. get it. Like I know yeah, they I mean, lowered his seat, but uh, he's still a massive yeah. human being. He's a giant. Even if the size of him physically doesn't give it away, the gap tooth gives it away. Why? Why? I don't. I, I never understood. Like, why when someone puts glasses on, do they do they become it's a like different Clark person? I, I know. I never really understood that about Superman either. I'm like, it's Superman, obviously, with glasses. I don't. I never really got that. How that's a disguise? They don't even have a fake nose. It's just the glasses. I wrote, uh, when I did a little blog about that video, I wrote that, I mean, baseball, MLB has basically struck a gold mine with Aaron Judge. He's the perfect recipe for marketing. He's huge. He hits bombs. He's uh, really 
mild-mannered on the field, really nice off the field, says all the right things, is always interacting with fans. Like, they struck a gold mine with him. Yeah, there's you, everything everything you want about this guy. Like, he hits every demographic. He's he's he he goes everywhere. He's perfect. He literally is perfect. There are they are begging and praying that he continues to hit and hit and hit because, uh, like you said, he's a goldmine for them and the New York Yankees. The New York Yankees are so happy about this. And they, I guarantee they didn't really see this big of a thing come. I mean, obviously nobody saw it, but. I mean, do you think that even you know the two, three-year projections were anything remotely close to what's happening? No, I don't. We talked in the offseason that I kind of got the sense that Cashman didn't have much faith in Aaron Judge. Yeah, I thought I think that was kind of the overwhelming, you know, majority of people's opinions is that I mean there was a there was a competition, quote unquote competition for right field in the spring in spring training. I mean, it wasn't given. It was down to the last day. Yeah, so so there the fact that he's just lit it up, you know, has to be a big surprise, you know, on, to the organization as well. I mean, usually I'm sure they have longer projections. There's no way he's even he's no way he's even uh, close to what their projections were, you know, even three four years down the line. Well, you got projections. I mean, I don't think anyone ever would have projected this. He's on pace for still, even though he's slowed down in home runs, he's still on pace for over fifty home runs. Right, but I'm, I'm not even talking about the pace of, of as... I, I mean, I, I think the batting average and just his approach at the plate is the most impressive thing for me. His approach. The, the approach at the plate, the way he's done it, the way he's taking walks, the way he is you know grinding out at-bats and then getting a base hit. Like Those are the telltale signs for me that this is a real thing and that he's getting it and that he's more comfortable and it's going to be very difficult to pitch around him because you know everybody always saying the wait till the league catches up, wait till the league catches up. Well, the league's going to catch up by, by, by throwing things out of the zone, not hitting the places where he has been you know, extremely hot in the strike zone, and he's just not swinging at those pitches. He's being so disciplined that you have to come at him or he's going to take his walk, and that's what's going to happen right now. And it's just going to get better as he gets older and more comfortable and sees more of these pitchers. It's, it's really like the, 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 the speed in which this happened is unbelievable. <laughs> It's it's as if he he was brainwashed in the off season to be able to have this sort of approach at the plate because I I didn't think it was possible after watching him last year I thought he he's gonna run into thirty home runs if he gets full playing time be, just because he's that strong but I, but no no one saw this kind of plate discipline he had two walks on Wednesday night plus a base hit you said right what, right when we got on he had a base hit so he's on base yeah. three times the. The length of the Yankees lineup is is the biggest difference for me. Every, I mean, uh, throw out Carter because he, I know we had three hits on Tuesday night, but that's going to be few and far between. Every squirrel finds a nut every now and again. And he Carter got another. He got another Tuesday. hit and scored from first tonight too. I mean, the guy's on a roll. Two Whatever. games. Whatever. Um, but but one through eight, this Yankee lineup is pretty damn solid. Yeah, I mean, and, and you're saying one through eight, and knowing that Chris Carter is our backup first baseman. So, you know, in theory, we're, we're waiting for our starting first oh, well, baseman, your MVP candidate, yeah. no, no doubt. Uh, You've to, got him rolling his eyes at Derek Jeter. and like not, I didn't make him roll like, his eyes. I didn't make him roll his eyes. videos going on, so yeah. who knows when he's coming back. I didn't make him walk all unathletically next by Derek Jeter while Jeter's like the man of the hour and rolling his eyes, looking very just completely down and out like a nerd. It was It was... It was weird. 
Weird video. <laughs> Weird video going on there. Now he's a nerd. Yeah, he was like a, he was like the uh, I tweeted whoever uh it was a um there was a, a girl I was going back and forth on Twitter who saw the video as well. And I made the comment saying that he looked like the nerd in high school, like walking by the the starting varsity quarterback, like just angry and just like frustrated and, you know, looking unathletic. It was just a weird, weird look in that video. I'm telling you, go back and look at that video if you haven't looked at it. I saw it. I'm talking to people listening to this. It's weird. It's a strange video. We don't know who he was talking to from behind the cage, what was said. Jeter could have said something sort of funny or or something, whatever, that just annoyed or – or made Bird sort of roll his eyes. You don't know. You saw a half a second of Greg Bird on that video. I am very perceptive when it comes to reading body language. I'll tell you, that is one of my strong suits as a person. And I'm telling you okay. that Greg Bird at that particular moment was pissed off and annoyed and aggravated and somehow felt belittled as a man <laughs> when he was walking by Derek Jeter. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love I love the uh, the conspiracies here. We talked to Brian Hoke coming up. Uh, like I said, it was before CC's start on Tuesday, and we asked him, "What do you think the Yankees are going to do with CC?" He didn't think the Yankees are going to really make a move on him anytime soon. Uh, you'll you'll hear why coming up. But CC went out there and sort of put his money where his mouth is. Six and two thirds innings pitch, no earned runs. Five hits against the Royals. Took advantage of the big ballpark. Yeah, he gave up some hard-hit balls, but that's going to happen when CeCe's throwing 90 miles an hour, topping out at 90 miles an hour or whatever. Uh, looked good. Looked like he did in his first three starts of the season. Not the 10 ERA guy we saw in the, the four starts after that. And, and this is promising because when you break down the the bad starts that he had, they were they were isolated to the first couple innings, which is just so strange to me. For, for a pitcher like him and the way that he's developed into this new, quote, finesse guy and, and able to, you know, hit those corners and, and just really work with what his new repertoire is. So, you know, maybe there was some kind of a mechanical thing. Maybe there was some kind of a, a slight adjustment that he was able to make to get through that first part of the lineup and then, you know, get into the game where even in the bad starts, he was looking good. I mean, he got into the fifth or sixth inning in some of those bad starts and because he settled down and actually got into the game, I mean, granted he had given up, you know, what was it, five, six runs in, in each of those, but he did slow down and get into the game and, and ended up pitching well. So, you know, maybe there is something there and hopefully he found it. Uh, they were talking tonight about angry CeCe and he was just kind of pissed off that, you know, he, he was taking it out on the on the Royals and on the game. And well, if that's the case, then bring out angry CeCe every single time. Somebody's got to poke the bear, Seriously, you know, and, and let's get this guy pissed off before every start, if that's what works. I did appreciate Girardi's analysis of why Sabathia was struggling in his last few starts. He was just missing his location. Yeah, I mean, that's it, right? It's so simple. <laughs> Thanks, Girardi. We couldn't tell that he was setting up low and away, and he hung a 87-mile-an-hour slot ball in the middle of the plate that went for 500 feet. Sometimes I know Girardi has to comment, but is some of that some of the stuff, some of the cliches that are said from managers or, or GMs or uh, analysts or whatever it may be, just kind of. I mean, dude, off. think about how many times they have to answer these questions. How many times in of a summer? Course, you, I know. If you don't have a number of cliche, I mean, he's got an entire chapter of cliche answers in that binder. If you don't have that and you don't have like a baseline of cliche, then you're just going to be one either silent or just talking gibberish. You got to have those those go to answers. It's not. It's just. It's yeah. not what you want. You don't. You don't want to go through those long. Those those <laughs> long interviews. It's not what you want. It's not what you want. 
Castro on Wednesday had three hits as of the time we started recording. RBI double in the first inning. He's now leading the league in hits. He was sort of going back and forth with with hits on that, but uh, I think after three hits, he's now definitely leading the league in hits. He's on pace for a career high in homers at 30, RBI, slugging percentage, OPS. He's on pace for not only his best season, but MVP-type season from Castro. At what point are we going to actually buy in that he may be one of the best infielders in the league? offensively I know defensively he has some struggles he made an ugly error over the weekend but as far as offensively goes I mean the dude's been a force he's batting cleanup yeah uh, he does make some some uh, some boneheaded errors but he also makes some nice nice plays I mean he made a nice play in the hole going towards first base tonight that look I, I've always thought that he's a guy who has the ability to hit for average and that's just because of his hand eye I think he's got some of the best hand eye and able you know the ability to, to get the the bat to the ball wherever the ball is uh, better than as good as anybody in the league. I think he's one of those guys. Like you know, we've always talked about he's a he's a good bad ball hitter, similar to like a Vlad Guerrero in, in this in the sense of they can hit anything, and that's why he does swing at those big sweeping breaking balls out of the zone because he does think he can hit them, <laughs> and sometimes he does. But you know, I think he's always had that ability, and I think the biggest hurdle for him to you know to take the the leap of where he was you know at the at the end of his Cubs career. Uh, where he was towards the you know, the middle parts of the end of the uh, season last year was to, was to get that discipline and stop swinging at those terribly bad pitches and to focus on certain zones. And that's what's happening right now. I mean, he's hitting, it looks like he's swinging at better pitches and when he does, he's mashing the ball. I thought he was going to kill Jason Vargas today. It looked like Vargas had zero chance. I mean, Castro was like smirking, waiting for the ball to come in. He's like, I'm going to crush this wiffle ball coming at me right now. I know he's he's uh he's got a higher walk rate this season, and it just seems to me I test I'm going to I test here that he's swinging at fewer bad pitches. He still chases a little bit, but right. I see it less and less. Yeah, and that's key. That's huge for him. I mean, when he stops doing that and he's he's really narrowing down his zone with that kind of with that kind of hand eye and, and the ability that he has, because I think he does have you know, some of the best ability in the majors. Uh, you know, I think the sky's the limit, and he's, he's out there having a blast, too. Dude's always got a smile on his face. I mean, does anybody miss Robinson Cano at this point? Anybody even talking about that ever again? Because this guy looks like he's having just as much fun with that big smile that Cano used to have and is, uh, and is putting up very similar numbers right now. Uh, so you didn't answer my question. At what point are we ready to call him one I'm of the in. best offensive infielders I'm You're in. in. You're I'm buying. In. I'm You're all buying in. the Castro stock. Yes, I, I had. I was. I, I bought early on Castro. I, I had a, a premonition. I didn't think that he was going to hit 350 or 345 or whatever the hell he's doing. But I, you know, I did think he could hit a. I, I did think he could be a 300 hitter. So I'm. I'm happy that he's doing it. And yeah, I'm all in. I think. Uh, I think especially with the people around him. I mean, look at that lineup. He's got. He's got backup everywhere he's go. He. You know, anywhere in the lineup he he is, he's got support whether it's before or after him. So he's going to get good pitches. He didn't have, I mean, he had no support last year. Zero. I mean, especially the first three quarters of the season. So absolutely, that, that's a huge factor in it. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'm ready to say that he's he's one of the best uh, offensive infielders in the league, but I mean, the, we have to think about that he's 27 going on 28 years old. He's been in the league since he's 20, but historically this is when players enter their prime. Right. So him and Didi are entering their primes, and it was—it's just—it was—it annoyed us to no end this offseason. What people were already uh, set to move on 
from Starlin Castro because we had Gliber Torres and all Tyler Wade and all the number of great prospects. Well, look what Castro's doing right now through almost two months of the season. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those cases where, where fans need to, to check themselves when they start looking at the minor leaguers and getting overly excited because it happens. I mean, granted, this was such an influx of minor league talent that we hadn't seen in a long time that people got overly excited. And I understand it. I mean, why wouldn't you? Of course you are. You see all these guys putting up, you know, video game numbers in, in spring training. You automatically think that they could do it in the major leagues and, and they can't, it's not the same. It's different. I mean, Gleyber Torres was struggling in double a before he got injured. So there's, there's a number of things and a number of factors. Castro is a real deal. Major leaguer. Didi is a real deal. Major leaguer. These guys are doing it, uh, you know, with consistency now and they're getting better. So they're not going anywhere. There was almost too many prospects all at once that came into the Yankee system. People started free. They lost their shit. We all lost <laughs> yeah. our shit. Yeah, we geeked out. Everybody geeked out about the prospects. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fine, but... Yeah. Uh, I and think they're still there. To, and they're uh, still there. That's the beauty. Still there. They're yeah. still there. And the guys in the major league level... We still got... We still have our number one and number two prospects still in the minor leagues. Like yeah. you said, Gliber's in double A. Clint Frazier's snapping bats over his knee in triple A. Exactly. Just getting ready. Just getting ready. Getting primed. Getting ready for when we need them because these guys up here are handling business. It's perfect. It's really the perfect scenario, to tell you the truth. The first time that Clint Frazier strikes out in the major leagues and snaps his bat over his knee, the New York media is going to go eight. Oh, yeah. There's no, I don't think he so. can control that, though. It's very instinctual at that point. <laughs> oh, sure, if I'd show emotion, I love it. I don't think every player needs to be cut from the same cloth. But this guy is going to throw the New York media, the Yankees, specifically the Yankees media, into a frenzy because he's different, and it's fine. Whatever. All right, uh, before we get into the Brian Hoke interview, take a minute to rate and review the podcast in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, wherever it is you listen. It really helps us out. Give us that five-star review. Give us a, a rating and review. We appreciate it. All right, let's get into this interview with Brian Hoke. Now joining us on the podcast is Brian Hoke. He covers the Yankees for MLB.com. You can find him on Twitter at Brian Hoke. I'm sure everybody listening already follows him, but if not, definitely go follow him. Brian, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. Happy to be on with you. So the weekend was, I think, overshadowed by Derek Jeter, uh, even though the Yankees lost three out of four to Houston. But uh, how were the ceremonies up close in person? I think it was cool. I, I think that... Derek Jeter Day is one of those generational days that people are going to look back on the way that you see the video footage of Mickey Mantle Day and, and how cool that was. And uh, to be able to, to say you were there, whether you were in the stands or in the press box, or I mean, I guess some of the guys on the field uh, thought it was uh, awesome to be there and up close. And I think um, it's hard to say anything bad about Derek Jeter. Uh, I think you, even if you're not a Yankee fan, you have to have an appreciation for the career he put together, for playing 20 years in New York City, for never really putting his foot in his mouth, and, and obviously for winning. Um, you know, obviously a cornerstone of some of the uh, the best Yankee teams of all time. So uh, it was cool to be there. I, I think that uh, Jeter obviously nailed the speech. Uh, he did it in, in his own style. Um, I think that uh, the ceremonies cut, hit all the right notes. And, uh, yeah, I – 
like Tino Martinez was saying, it's no surprise. We all expected Derek Jeter was going to be out there someday. It's just a matter of time. But uh, it was cool to finally see it happen, and now all the single digits are gone. So talking about Derek Jeter and, you know, the ceremony, everybody's been looking forward to this, obviously. I'm very curious as to, you know, what your thoughts are on on how you how you covered him, how it was like to cover him, you know, from the beginning Jeter years when he was a younger guy coming into this, you know, renowned organization to the later years where he seemed to maybe a little bit more guarded as he got as he got older or started saying less in interviews and things like that. But I'd love to hear your take on what it was like in person to cover him. I wish I could tell you because in 96, I was a freshman in high school. So I wasn't around when Derek was breaking into the league, but obviously I saw him from afar and uh, got to meet him a couple times. But the first time I saw him on an everyday basis was 2007. That was my first year on the Yankee beat. So Derek was already the captain by then. He was already the man and had the four of the five world series rings he would have. So he was already a presence, but uh, as from a cover standpoint, I, I do remember vividly my first day of spring training, walking up to him and introducing myself and saying, "Hey, I'm the new kid here. I'm, I'm for MLB.com." And uh, he shook my hand, looked me in the eye, said, "Hey, good to meet you." Asked me a little bit about myself, and and then he was on his way. But uh, that was pretty much Derek. He was always available, uh, always professional, courteous. Uh, never really gave you all that much, as you know. I mean, uh, his quotes, I think uh, there's a reason that they play him in media training when the Yankees go to spring training every year. I mean, he nailed it. He mastered the art of making himself available, and and always he's in the paper every day. I I think that during his playing career, if you picked up a newspaper, you probably saw a quote that said, Jeter said, but uh, go back and think about the most outlandish thing that you ever heard Derek Jeter say. Remember the one that created – back page headlines and I, I i have trouble coming up with one so uh i think that he did it right um he obviously was very aware of his image and and what he meant to to represent the yankees in a professional way and i think it was also a uh it's also a an offshoot of the team he was playing for because remember he came up with those george steinbrenner yankees which also had all those veterans the, the tim raineses and the david cones and those guys to show them the way and kind of learn, this is how you be a big leaguer and this is how you conduct yourself. And, you know, I wonder if it would have been different if Derek had been drafted by one of those other teams, if he had come up with a Houston Astros or the Cincinnati Reds. But I suspect that no matter where he played, Derek Jeter was going to be Derek Jeter. You mentioned the Derek Jeter style of talking to the media and Scott and I always joke that like Greg Bird and Aaron Judge seem to went to seem to have gone to the Derek Jeter school of interviewing. Um, that certainly seems to be the case. And then you see on the other side, Clint Frazier coming up and he was not drafted by the organization and he's making a little bit more of headlines. Do you foresee that being an issue at all in New York? I don't. I, I think there's room for different personalities in New York. I mean, uh, Nick Swisher had a good run in New York, and he clearly wasn't out of the, the Yankee school. And I, I know, obviously, it didn't end on a great note for Nick with that, the playoff game, but uh, most of his career there was, was pretty good. And you've had guys who have personalities. David Wells was very successful in New York, and he I don't think anybody would look at him as the, the button-down, suit-and-tie Yankee <laughs> type. So uh, I think that there's room for, for all of it. Um, but you're right in that uh, when you're drafted by the Yankees and you come up through the Yankee organization, I think from day one, they, they drill it into you. And, and part of that is looking at the guys who came before you. I'm, I'm sure that Jeter did that a fair amount when he was coming up through the farm system. And uh, they probably threw the examples at him of the guys from years past. So I think that, uh, look, the model is there. 
whether players want to take it or not, I guess they have that option. Uh, Clint Fraser seems to have toned it down a little bit. At least he did in spring training. Uh, when I was around him, I can't speak to it now because I'm obviously not around him every day. But uh, I, I think that it is a learning process. And Reggie Jackson was talking about that a little bit in spring training too. And he, obviously he had a personality where he made some waves, but even he was talking about how when you come to the Yankees, it's just different. The expectations are different. The spotlight is different. And so you have to conduct yourself a little differently. Well, and yet today, I mean, you mentioned Boomer Wells and even Reggie Jackson and some of those early guys in, on those teams where they did have bigger personalities and they were out and, you know, they're out in New York and doing all sorts of different things. But I think with today's age and social media, you know, there's, there's obviously a different type of scrutiny. There's a, there's a different, there's, there's media all over the place. I mean, everybody is a mm-hmm. photographer. Everybody's a journalist because they have a cell phone mm-hmm. and, you know how does the how do the Yankees? What you're, you talked about how they have Jeter as you know one of the examples on on how to conduct interviews and such. I mean, are they really you know driving home to to either lay off social media as much as you can during the season, or just be smart about it, or what's their what's their stance on that? I, I think they've kind of adapted to it. I, I think that the way that Twitter exploded and obviously Instagram and all these other things. Uh, you kind of kept your distance in the first few years and just said, whoa, what is this? Like, wait, how do we use this? Uh, right. And I think you've seen more of the Yankees embrace it. Uh, Didi Gregorius is great on social media. That's one example I think of off the top of my head. Gary Sanchez is very active on it. Aaron Judge uh, is on it as well. I, I think that it's part of the landscape now, guys. I, I saw baseball cards the other day, and they have Instagram hand- handles and Twitter handles on the back, and I, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Um, so I think it's here to stay. It's going to be part of the landscape. I think that players are going to have to, to understand and appreciate that this is their way to speak to the fan base. Uh, I think that part of what Jeter has done in his post-retirement with starting the Players' Tribune is, is a, a realization that – there are other ways to get your message out there than to just talk to the five or six reporters who are out at your locker every day. And hopefully they, they never forget about that and they still talk to us because otherwise uh, we'd be in some trouble. But I, I think that uh, it's great for the fans, I think, to be able to, to reach out to, your, to certain players. I know that some of the guys, it can be positive and negative what comes back at them. So some of the guys have kind of backed away from it a little bit. But uh, I think for the most part, on the whole, the Yankees understand that their guys are going to be active on it, so be smart about it. Realize that what you're saying or tweeting is the same as what you're saying to a reporter because it is. You've got a microphone there. It just happens to be a cell phone in your pocket, and uh, what you say carries weight. So be careful what you say is what you actually want to be quoted as saying. You mentioned all of the single-digit numbers with Jeter are now retired. They Andy Pettit's numbers retired. Posada's numbers retired. Bernie Williams, obviously Mariano. Do you think they went a little overboard in honoring the '90s teams? I mean, O'Neill also has a plaque. Tino has a plaque. I don't know if I'm forgetting anybody. I love those teams. I grew up with those teams. But do you think that they went overboard at all? Uh, maybe a little bit. I think that uh, they got swept up in. Uh, obviously, it was the 20th anniversary of the '96 team, not too far back. And but I think that you're looking at people who watched those teams and grew up watching those teams, the 98, 90, 99, 2000. Uh, these are the guys who are now buying tickets, who are now bringing their children to Yankee Stadium and, and starting that next generation of fans. So I think that, uh, look, I, I don't think it's a bad thing for a father to bring his kids into Monument Park and say, hey, this is who Paul O'Neill was. He was the warrior. He always got angry. He, he did this. He did that. Um, Tino Martinez was – 
and the first baseman, and here's some of my favorite Kino memories. I, I think that's cool that it, it will connect in generations. So if you're asking me, do Tino Martinez and Luke Gehrig uh, <laughs> uh, belong in the same sentence, I'm going to say no. But uh, I think that Monument Park is a place where you recognize the great Yankees, and uh, who's to say where the line is drawn, really? Um, I, I think that if if you want to have guys, you know, like like we said, Tino or, or Paul O'Neill or Mel Stottlemyre or whoever whoever you want to throw out there, I mean, Willie Randolph belongs out there, I think. Um, look, I, I think that it's a place where you recognize the great Yankees, and uh, not everybody's going to be Babe Ruth, Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle. So I think you understand that going in, and uh, it, it's just part of it. You, you take a look around and take it for what it is. Well, hopefully they can expand Monument Park if that's the case, because it's getting a little crowded. Absolutely. It is a little tight in there. And I think that's the last ceremony we're going to see for a while. I think that Jeter is the last uh, big one. I can't think of uh, anyone else. I mean, who knows? Maybe Bryce Harper has one in a few years and we'll talk about that. But yeah, well, uh, I don't know if they're going to have Shane Spencer today anytime soon. We'll we'll see. But uh, it was a nice bow on on an era, I think. (laughs) I think so. I I think that you're not going to see anything for a while, but Hey, maybe Gary Sanchez Day or Aaron Judge Day is in the future. We'll we'll find out. Where did the Carlos Beltran coming up with the Monument Park Blazers come from? And and how did we not all hear about this beforehand? It was it was kind of it was odd when they mentioned that that it was Beltran's idea for these, you know, for these uh for these Friars Club like Blazers for the Monument Park guys. Where where did this come from? Isn't that crazy? I, apparently it happened at some point last year and they didn't really publicized it too much. I had heard that they were working up a Monument Park logo. I had heard something about that, but I didn't realize that was what was going to be put on the Blazers. So, uh, a cool idea. Uh, yeah, I, I think he was inspired by what the Cardinals do with their Hall of Famers. Obviously, to me, they look kind of like the Masters jackets. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many, how much guys like Andy Pettit or Jorge Posada are actually going to wear them around town and uh, you know go out and maybe get dinner in one, but <laughs> it's something that they can kind of say that uh, they got from the Yankees. And uh, yeah, I think, hey, uh, if you have that, it's pretty cool. All right, let's talk about the team go- that's playing right now. Tanaka looked terrible on Sunday night after the Jeter ceremonies. He's kind of looked shaky all season, in my opinion. What do you think's going on with him? I'm not sure. Uh, they say it's a mechanical issue, and he hasn't really felt completely mechanically right. Even in spring training when we were talking to him and he was lights out and uh, basically no-hitting the world every time out in spring training. I say something's not completely right. It could have been better. I'm getting good results, but I'm not uh, completely satisfied. And you look at the way that Tanaka is, he's obviously a perfectionist. I, I honestly think that he could pitch a no-hitter and, and be a little dissatisfied with, hey, I missed the 2-1 pitch here or there. And I, I think that uh, that's just who he is, but he's obviously a long way from that right now. Um, he says it's not the same mechanical flaw that he was talking about in spring training, which means it's something new. Um, he also says he's not hurt, so cross that off the list for now. But Aroldis Chapman said the same thing, and it turned out that he was. So uh, who knows? Um, I, I think that uh, you, you don't have all the data right now. Uh, I'd like to see one or two more starts. I won't be surprised either way if he bounces back or if it continues, to be honest with you. Um, but I am surprised that of all the people in the Yankee rotation that he's one of the people that we're talking about right now. So we're we're talking about this as a mechanical issue, and that's that's the uh, the word on the street, I guess. But do you think that there is anything having to do with his struggles that that is correlated with the opt out clause? Do you think there's some pressure here? I mean, this it's a everybody knows about it. It's kind of like the cloud that keeps covering him with the struggles that's got to come up. Do you think there's any kind of pressure on him that he's feeling and and is affecting the way he's pitching? 
I, I think it did bother him for a while. I think he was bothered by the repeated questions. And that was something Larry Rothschild even said earlier this spring. You know, uh, if somebody keeps asking you, hey, do you think you're going to break your ankle today? At some point, you're going to just say, wait, why, why does everybody keep asking me if I'm going to break my ankle? Am I doing something wrong? Uh, so I think that, look, it could go. There's a, there's a track record of guys who have not been able to have nearly the amount of success that Tanaka has had with it. Um, he's obviously found a way to work around it and continue strengthening it, but you have to remember that there is a tear there. It's not healing. You can you can make it stronger and you can you can pitch with it. Obviously, he's proved that, but uh, it's always in the back of everybody's mind. I, I think that the thing is here to look at the year he's having and to know that this is a potential opt-out year for him. Obviously, he no one is more motivated uh, for a number of reasons than Tanaka to have a great year this year, and he's just not doing it right now. So I think that uh, whatever it is, he's obviously got to got to figure it out. But I think uh, that splitter is so important to him. And you look back at the game tape against Houston, and it's just up in the zone. He, he was throwing hit-me pitches, and uh, there's a reason that the, the Astros had eight runs on the board by the, uh, the time it was the bottom of the second inning. What is your opinion or just your feeling for being around the team and how the Yankees will handle the opt-out if he does in, indeed opt-out? Yeah, I, see, that's a great question because uh, I, I don't really know what kind of year Tanaka's going to have at the end, but my gut tells me no. I, I, my gut tells me that if he opts out, they will not bring him back, but I've heard this before, too. I've, I've heard the Yankees swear up and down that they will not bring Alex Rodriguez back if he opts out, and then they gave him a 10-year deal. So uh, I think that my gut instinct is that they will would let Tanaka walk, especially if he's going out and seeking $25, 30000000 million a year. Um, there's not a great starting pitching market out there. I mean, there are a couple options, I believe, but uh, I think that they've got some good value on the Tanaka contract, but being that he's damaged goods in a way, you know, obviously they, they've seen all the MRIs. They, they know everything better than we do. Um, I, I think that they would probably shy away from that because if you think back and Tanaka had been hurt the way he is now, or at least pitching with a torn UCL, uh, would he have gotten that kind of money in the first place? And my answer is probably no. No, I can't imagine a team would take that kind of risk. Yeah. But uh, so look, with CC, another guy who's struggling, and I still think the Yankees rotation is their Achilles heel this season. He looked so good in his first few starts, and I, I actually thought he turned a corner. He had a great season last year. I thought, okay, maybe he is going to be Andy Pettit 2.0, and he can pitch late into his career and just sort of figure it out. But it doesn't look like that anymore. How long is he going to be in the rotation if he continues to pitch like this? I, I think you got to give him at least a few more turns to, to prove he can figure it out. Because, like you mentioned, he looked pretty good in the beginning part of the year. Uh, he looked great for the last, what, five or six weeks of last year. So that's a pretty good track record that it didn't just disappear overnight. Now, uh, some of the peripheral numbers you look at, the exit velocity off him, uh, a lot of the talk last year was that, uh, Sabathia was giving up soft contact. Well, he's not doing that anymore, especially the, the start at Cincinnati. He got rocked. Um, I, so I, you want to see what he does tonight in Kansas City. I, I think that, obviously, that's a last-place team. Uh, it, it should, in theory, be a ballpark where he can get some fly ball outs if he has to. But uh, I, I think that uh, with Sabathia, there is a leash. I, obviously, the fact that he's making such a big contract. And, and once you give up on him, this is the other thing. Once you give up on him and say, all right, CeCe Sabathia is not a starting pitcher anymore. He's now going to be our long reliever. He's going to be in the bullpen, and he's going to be, a, I don't know, gosh, an Adam Warren type, but not even that. He's, he's going to be Chris Capuano from a couple of years ago and, and just come in to mop up. 
Now you've lost them completely. Now you're not going to get any value out of that whatsoever. So I think that if there's any chance that he can come back and do what he did the last two months of last season, uh, what he did the first three starts of this year, uh, you gotta you got to stick with it because – and Girardi's in, inclined to do that as well. I mean, we, we all know Girardi seems to lean toward the veterans. He trusts the track record. He believes in them based upon that. So I, I think CeCe's got a long leash here. How much how much influence does he have in the clubhouse? And is that at all a factor in keeping him in the rotation? Like you said, so they don't lose him and potentially lose a leader in the clubhouse. Yeah, and like I said, that's huge because once you make him a long reliever, he's not gonna be happy. He's not gonna be feel like he's contributing. So even if the team wins, uh he's not gonna be the same presence that he would be. Um but no, he's he's huge. He's been there since 2009. I mean, this is a guy who, who was on the last World Series winning team. I think that obviously his track record speaks to him for itself. He's a Cy Young. Uh, he was a power pitcher who's reinvented himself. Uh, but he's got to start getting some results. And I, I think that's huge, though, for the pitching staff that uh, nobody wants to see, or nobody on that team wants to see CeCe Bathia relegated to a bullpen role and just sitting out in the bullpen waiting for a lopsided game to get into. I think that. Uh, he deserves better than that. I, I, I think it's, I think it's in there. I think that, uh, like I said, the last two months of last year and and what you saw earlier this year, that couldn't have been a mirage or a fluke. But he's got to put it together. And one more quick thing about CC Sabathia is, you know, the we keep talking about sending him to the bullpen. I mean, this is something that he has not done. This is this is not a guy that can right. just go out there and you know be a bullpen guy. He's he's a starting pitcher. He's always been a starting pitcher, and 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 at that, he's got a different repertoire at this point. So. I mean, there's absolutely nothing saying that if we were, if the Yankees were to send him to the bullpen, then that he would succeed in that role either. So, no, and he doesn't have the overpowering kind of stuff that you would build a late inning reliever around. Obviously, it, they lost Chapman, but you can't compare Sabathia right now to, to even Tyler Clippert or Adam Warren or or Dylan Patances, obviously. So, uh, but like I said, he's Chris Capuano from a couple of years ago. If you decide to go that route, and and to me, that's that's a sunk cost right there. So. Uh, if there's any chance that he can be a competitive starting pitcher and give you, people weren't talking about CC giving him, you know, seven or eight innings every time. It needs to be competent and keep you in the game through five and, and let the bullpen do what it does. And um, he's, if he can do that, then you can get some value out of it. And if not, then then you're really just better off releasing him. To be honest with you, if you if you come to that point and just realize that he's he's just your mop up guy, then man, just cut him loose. I think. Talking about the the team just a little bit differently going into first base, obviously this is a, an area that has not had any kind of production. When we're looking around the diamond, we see production practically everywhere else, but first base has been an issue. Now, now two years standing. Um, what's going on with Greg Bird and the Yankees' first base situation? I mean, it has not been good. I mean, you look and they, they have gotten by far the worst production from first base. And anybody who saw Bird in spring training, I don't think you would have predicted that. I mean, he, he was crushing the ball and, and doing against some pretty good pitchers, too. It wasn't just against single-A and double-A kids, but uh, I think that that bone bruise uh, had more of an impact than anybody let on. Um, I I think that he tried to play through it as much as he could, but obviously the fact that they're not even letting him get back to baseball activities right now tells you how bad it was and how much time he may need. So I, I think that Bird's going to be out a little while longer. Chris Carter obviously has not hit. That's not a secret. Um they don't have a whole lot else to go to right now. Tyler Austin apparently is hitting against live pitching. He tweeted that out. He's down there in Tampa, but uh, he's basically starting spring training over again. So 
they're going to have to sink or swim with Chris Carter. I mean, there's not a whole lot else. I you know somebody emailed me about G-Man Choi, um, who's apparently played pretty well down at AAA, but uh, obviously not on the 40 and has a, uh, has not shown that he can do it in the big leagues yet. So I, I think that uh, this bird injury hurts him. Luckily, the team has been winning, so it hasn't been that much of an issue for them. But uh, obviously, Bird wasn't hitting when he was on the team. Uh, Carter's not hitting now. So uh, there's a reason that they're going to Matt Holiday and, and trying to give him some at-bats there at first base. Uh, obviously, the bat has worked out well. The defense is passable, uh, even though I, I don't think he looks comfortable there. Uh, but it, it clearly has been an issue for the Yankees. Uh, they've been able to win despite it. But it would be nice for the Yankees to start getting some contributions from first base. That's for sure. Obviously, the Chapman injury hurts them. And it, it it just sucks because they just gave him all this money. And it's one of those things that you, you <laughs> hope is not uh, long-term. Obviously it might be a month or two months, depending on how severe the, the injury is. But Tansis is yeah. going to be the closer. Obviously Randy Levine in the off season criticized, Batansis basically said he couldn't be a closer. Do you think the Yankees mm-hmm. are confident with him as the closer for the next one to maybe two months? I don't know how Randy Levine feels about it, but I think that, uh, the Yankees in the clubhouse think he can. Uh, I know that uh, he looked okay once the Chapman trade happened. They did not look great in September. He looked terrible. But uh, before that, and I think that might have been a fatigue thing where he had just been used so heavily and he had, had made so many multi-inning appearances or, or more than one inning. Um, maybe he was just gassed there at the end of September. Um, we'll find out. We will find out. This will be an opportunity for him to kind of put up or shut up and, and say, hey, um, I am a closer. I am a closer. Now the statistics prove it, and I deserve to be paid as one then. And uh, look, I, I I thought that whole thing was silly at the time. Um, the way it was handled, it it was over two million dollars. And I'm not saying the Yankees should have just given them the two million, but they'd already won. They'd have won. They'd won their case. And then for for Randy to take a victory lap, I think that a lot of people would agree it was uncalled for. Um, they did it, so it's over. I think it's water under the bridge at this point. But uh, I, I think that. It would be pretty sweet, I'm sure, if Dylan Batances could prove it. I think he'd feel really good about uh, just kind of quietly saying, hey, I told you so. I told you I was worth that money, and, uh, and, and we'll see where it goes from there. Fans want to see that, too. <laughs> I want to I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. I want to quickly talk about the, uh, the stats and, and how StatCast is affecting and just has a larger role in baseball now. And talking about Dylan Batances, just so you know, too, Brian, we, Andrew and I have come up with a new advanced metrics for Dylan, but it was really inspired by Dylan Batances called B-Whip, and it's okay. bullpen, bullpen warm-up pitches so, so that we can add <laughs> that to the, the, the equation for his, um, you know, his, uh, his frustrations and loss of velocity towards the end of the season. But right. the StatCast H, the, the StatCast distance, the exit velocity graphics, all these things, how are you guys getting them so fast? And do you think baseball is becoming too stats-oriented? I don't know the technical behind it. They just appear. Uh, they've got multi-million dollar uh, pieces of equipment installed in every ballpark. And I, I've, they're hidden. They're hidden really well. And, uh, but all that stuff, the, the, the pitch speed, the, the exit velocity, it is instantaneously uh, transmitted. And it, it really is amazing to see what the computer can do. Because, you know, we're used to game day. And game day is a human person, obviously, uh, inputting single to right field. Runner advances to third base. You know, so it takes a little while to to refresh. But this is just the computer saying, "All right, ball hit. Here's the exit velocity. Here's the uh, the distance, the uh, the launch angle, all that." It's really crazy. I mean, 
I think that there is so much data right now that I think a lot of us, for, for a lot of us, it's like trying to drink from a fire hose. There's yeah. just so much of it uh, coming and you don't know what to do with some of it. I mean, so, so for me, I, I understand exit velocity and that's something I can wrap my mind around is that, wow, the ball is coming off Aaron judge's back a lot harder than everybody else. And that, that backs up what I'm seeing with my eyes. Uh, a lot of the other stuff, I think it's going to be a slow progression. And I know that uh, there is a generation. I, I try to explain some of this stuff to my dad, and his eyes just glaze over. Uh, <laughs> I'm not – look, you know, if, if you are if you grew up watching Mickey Mantle and, and Willie Mays and Duke Snyder and, uh, you know, batting average home runs and RBIs, that's all that matters. And I, I think there's not a whole lot I can do to convince you otherwise, but I think that a new generation is – going to slowly or quickly embrace a lot of these stats. And uh, I, I think that, look, this is what the teams are looking at as well. And so I think that our coverage is catching up to what the teams have known and been diving into for the last five or ten years. Yeah, exit velocity is – go ahead, Scott. I was just going to say baseball is looking for sexy things too. I mean, the, the sexy the sexy numbers that, that Aaron Judge is putting up with, uh, you know, 120, 119 miles – Per hour exit velocity. I think they like these these big numbers because people like to see those big numbers and they like to see home runs and guys throw 100 miles an hour and you know all these things. So I think yeah. it's it's also just it's helping the the younger generation. I think you know attach some semblance of um, of sexiness to the game. Well, there's a reason why when Chapman comes in, for example, and and the scoreboard says 101, 102, you hear ooh ah, you know from the from the crowd. People are watching for that. So. Uh, whether it's that, at some point you'll you'll know more about uh, the exit velocity and stuff. But I mean, honestly, you don't need exit velocity to tell you Aaron Judge hits the ball farther and harder than pretty much anybody else in the league right now. And uh, that, it's pretty awesome to watch him on a on a daily basis. I just like going down to the field and watching him take BP. I feel like that that's a show in itself. Absolutely. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us. And are, are you in Kansas City right now? I am not, but I will be at the Trop in Tampa, so I will be with the team oh, on Friday. Well, that's a lovely ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? For our purposes, though, I, I got to be honest with you, I know I would not probably want to pay money to – it would not be my first choice uh, to watch a game. But for our purposes, it's indoors. You never get a rain delay. Uh, there's a dedicated stairwell. goes right down the clubhouse. The Wi-Fi is fine. They've got hot coffee. I have no complaints about the Trop. All right. Well, Brian, thanks a lot for joining us. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again guys for your support. Really appreciate it and go Yankees. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.